0: Welcome to the Broken Vessels Podcast. Jeremiah 18.4 states, And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. This is the Broken Vessels Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Simpkins. This is where we have discussions on theological themes for the broken to bring encouragement and hope in Christ. You can reach us at brokenvesselspod at gmail.com. Again, that's brokenvesselspod at gmail.com. And also, we have a Facebook group, the Broken Vessels Podcast Facebook group. I would like to welcome you to the Broken Vessels Podcast. Um, This is going to be a two-part episode. So this is episode five, part one, and then we'll have episode six, part two next week. Um, We're going to be discussing some topics on the problem of evil, the sovereignty of God, and how that relates to our brokenness and suffering in this life, and how the gospel is the answer. As uh, I discussed this with my guest, uh, we did have some technical difficulties as far as our audio quality and uh, some editing things. But uh, please stay and listen, because there's really good conversation here. Um, And by God's grace, thankfully, after this episode and the next episode, Um, I've actually gotten an upgrade in audio equipment and editing capability. So the episodes are just going to improve um, over time. So I do appreciate your patience with the audio quality and uh, some of the editing snafus that I made. But I do just pray and hope that this will be an encouraging conversation for you as we seek to look to Christ and the gospel, um, to speak to the brokenness in our lives. Welcome to the Broken Vessels podcast. This is episode number five, and the topic that we're going to be discussing today is the topic of brokenness and the problem of evil. Um, and you may be asking yourself, well, what do you mean by the problem of evil? Have you ever asked yourself a question, questions like this, why do bad things happen to good people? Or why, if God is in control, why does God prevent evil from happening? Or you may ask yourself, why did God let my mom die, or my brother, or my sister, or my spouse? Or you may ask, why does God allow people to be born with birth defects? Um, Why does God allow babies to die in the womb? Why didn't God prevent sin from even coming in the world in the first place? Why, Why did God allow Adam to put us into this mess, to bring us to this place of brokenness? As we discussed on our last couple of episodes, you may be asking, why must we experience this brokenness? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. I have a quote that I'd like to read from a Table Talk magazine article from Luganer Ministries that was put out on April 8th of 2015. And this is part of the quote. It says this, All theistic systems, in other words, systems that believe in God, face the problem of evil. But the biblical teaching on the goodness of God makes it an issue that weighs on many believers. Moreover, the problem of evil is an especially pertinent subject for those who embrace Reformed theology. That is because we affirm that not only do both evil and good exist, but that a good God has ad- ordained every evil that ever takes place. If the Lord ordains evil, how can he be good? And I know many of you have probably asked yourselves that very question. I know in my life, I personally have asked myself that question, particularly when I was younger, and didn't really have an understanding of the sovereignty of God or of who God is. Well, thankfully, we have a a great guest today who is going to help us tackle this subject, and our pastor, Brett Revlett, um, who is the senior pastor of Crete Church, PCA, Presbyterian Church in America, in Joliet, Illinois, since 2018. He was previously a senior pastor in Utah for about eight years, and in New Jersey for I believe nine years, and has been in vocational ministry since 1995. He has a bachelor's degree in evangelism and discipleship from Moody Bible Institute, and a master of divinity from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield, Illinois. And I also have to say that I had the privilege of having this man as my pastor for between six and seven years, and so I'm very thankful that he came on today to talk about this subject of brokenness and the problem of evil.
1: Well, Brett, welcome to the show. Man, Josh, thanks for having me. You said I was uh, the pastor of Creek Church in Joliet, Illinois. You got you got uh, the wires crossed because uh, that's where my wife's from, Joliet. But Church, Creek Church is actually in Crete, Illinois, so that's where we're at.
0: Okay, and so you're in Crete you today. Well, that's kind of like saying somebody from Joliet saying I'm from Chicago.
1: (laughs) That's exactly right. That's
0: exactly right. Yeah. So so anyway, we're really thankful that you're here on the show to talk about this subject of brokenness and the sovereignty of God and the problem of evil. Obviously, the sovereignty of God is a big portion of this. So, Brett, the first question I'd like to ask, if you could, just from your knowledge and experience and from what you've learned through your your years of ministry and the education that you have what first of all is a reformed orthodox understanding of the sovereignty of god if you could explain that to our listeners
1: nutshell uh, the Reformed doctrine of the sovereignty of god i mean there's a lot of the confessions that you could go to uh, that can spell it out probably a lot better than i can but I would say when we talk about the sovereignty of God, we're usually talking about the, the divine right of God to rule over all things in his creation, and that would include all the known universe and beyond. God rules certainly in the affairs of men, but he also rules in all the affairs of the universe, so he is infinite uh, in his being and his character and nature, and uh, so there's no no authority outside of him, and he... Uh, exercises that divine right of sovereignty, that absolute autonomy to rule, usually we think of more in the context of God's eternal decrees and how his providence brings his decrees to pass spacetime time in history. So when we talk about the sovereignty of God or the providence of God or the decrees of God, we're not about, you know, a, uh, what I might call a sub-autonomous view where, you know, I made the decision to hop in my car and go to the store, certainly I have the ability to make that decision and to do that. But with God, all of his uh, actions are connected to him and his infinite being and how he understands uh, things uh, in his omniscience and how they come to pass ultimately for his glory. Okay, so um, so basically what you're saying is God is
0: in control utterly and completely and totally.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There is no control that, or no power that exercises over him or outside of him in such a way as it has an effect upon him and moves him in one direction or another. Uh, Non-contingent, and what I mean by that is he's not dependent on any other being, and yet he is autonomous. People in our humanness, in our fallen nature, we think we're autonomous, which I would argue is just a characteristic of the fall, because as Satan told Adam and Eve, the day you eat of the tree, you'll be like him. And it's it's actually a delusion that we have. Uh, we are not completely free to act in and of ourselves apart from God's own and what he certainly has allowed to take place in his, in his providential will you know, obviously you're giving us the Reformed
0: understanding of the sovereignty of God, and you would not give us this idea of God's sovereignty if it wasn't backed up by um, biblical authority, because obviously we believe that it it is Scripture that undergirds what we believe. I have a few passages here from the book of Job that I want to read that kind of uh, speak to what you just said about the sovereignty of God, and I'd like us to maybe touch on that just a little bit. Um, We all know the story of Job, that he was a righteous man, and that he had many tragedies happen to him literally all in the same day and lost everything. And he was uh, suffering. And some of the quotes from Job talk about the way that Job viewed what he was going through. Uh, Job 121 says, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away May the name of the Lord be praised. That's Job speaking. Uh, Job 2.10, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Uh, Job 3.23, why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? Job 13.15, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him, I will surely defend my ways in his face. Job 14.5, man's days are determined and you have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. And then the last one, Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things, no plan of yours can be thwarted. So as we read that scripture, that really does speak to that understanding
1: of God's sovereignty. Uh, wouldn't you say that, Brett? Well, I would say that. I, I think that one of the great book of Job is that we see passages like ones, many of the ones you've just read. I mean, we can see them in the Psalms and other places as well throughout Scripture. You know, you see Job saying this in the context of suffering, which is what this uh, podcast is about today. And I think that Job coming to terms with God's sovereignty in light of his suffering is uh, one of the key themes of the of the book of Job. And, uh, and I think it's a great place for us to go to and to ponder when we're going through times of difficulty or trials or suffering. We can, you know, think about it in light of, of Job, but but even in light of what going through, I mean, Job still had his questions. You know, I love the passage in, in Job 38 and Job 39 where he finally gets an audience with God and he's a- able to ask God questions. Before God entertains his questions, he has questions for Job and you have those those two chapters where it goes on, God asks Job all of these questions about, you know, the mysteries of the universe and, and what um, what Job experiences in his life here on earth and observing God's creation. And he says all those things about about his design, his sovereignty, his providence, and how it works in creation. And then uh, when it's all said and done, you know, God, well, he goes on all into chapter 40, 41, uh, asking those questions. And then when it finally comes time for God to entertain Job's question, he looks at Job and, or he looks to Job and he says, okay, go ahead, ask your question. And Job doesn't have anything to say. Uh, he's ready to put his hand over his mouth, he says. So it's a, something that it reminds us of as, uh, as human beings when we're thinking about the problem of evil. Uh, Is when you ponder our perception of evil in the world, uh, we're seeing it largely through our fallen nature and our fallen understanding of reality. We're not seeing it through the the eyes of God and the Mm -hmm. ultimate overarching purpose of why God is, you know, even allowing evil to exist in the world. Yeah, definitely. I get what you're saying there. And I believe that. But
0: when we think about like, some of the questions I asked at the beginning of the episode and what people, like you said, it's it, it, we have a perception of who God is or the way that God works or the way the world is, and it's, it's skewed because of that fallen nature, because we are broken by sin. The question, though, well, if God is sovereign and he's in control— and we have that understanding, how is he not responsible or morally culpable for the evil that happens in the world and to us individually? In other words, that that age-old question, why do bad things happen to, quote-unquote, good people?
1: question that often gets answer, uh, asked, um, kind of, uh, you know, try to give the answer back, and I've heard read, you know, people who have tried to give an answer to that, maybe from a philosophical worldview, uh, but at the end of the day, um, from the beginning, because why do bad things happen to good people? Well, according to the Bible, there is no such thing as a good person. Uh, There was only one good person who ever lived on planet Earth, you know, post fall and nailed him to a cross. Uh, So years I've been a pastor... Uh, no one ever comes in my office So it's ever come in my office, you know, knocked on my door and sat down with their head in their hands and looked at me and said, you know, Pastor Brad, I I just cannot figure out why in the world God would allow, you know, a cross. Um, no question. Uh, that, that's usually not the dilemma that people have when it comes to the problem of evil, but really that's the only real dilemma that, any human being should have over over the issue of the problem of the evil. Why would an all good God uh, act? Uh, the Lamb of God, who the Bible says takes away the sin of the world, as John the Baptist declared. Uh, ponder the you know the sense of God or the or the evil that God allows when they look in the light. Look in light of you know the cross, but only ask the question or ponder it. Um, everyone else, uh, the the real miracle is that we're all still breathing. You know, the, the age-old question: uh, God allow evil to exist? When someone asks that question, oftentimes, you know, I, I for uh, ask some other questions like, well, do you think he should destroy all evil? And uh, you know, the pay, the answer to be consistent with the the presupposition of the question, I say, well, absolutely. Well, then there would be nobody left on planet earth mm-hmm. and it would have never been anyone actually who ever, who would have ever lived, you know, the miracle of God bestowing uh, free will upon Adam and Eve. And then they uh, committed what Sproul would call cosmic treason. As he described sin as being cosmic treason against God. Uh, then what ends up happening is it's God uh, instead of, pouring out his wrath and destroying them. And he would justly, could justly do that. God, uh, of course, as you know, uh, animals and the implication is, is that God actually killed an animal in the place of Adam and Eve. And he took the skin of the animal and he covered their shame and nakedness, everything that was a result of the fall. And I've had, you know, even pastors tell me, I remember teaching about that. And I made that argument that God killed an animal, and the retired pastor said, "You know, you're implying that you, you're implying that God made the first sacrifice." And I said, well, "All I is is that we see the animal killed, and or the skins being used to clothe man and woman, uh, and then in chapter we see that in chapter three and in chapter four of Genesis, we we have Cain and Abel, thanks to God. But where do you think they got it?" Advice. Mm. It, it actually got it from Adam, and Adam got it from God as he saw what God did, and as God bestowed mercy and grace and allowed uh, mercy and grace, you know, living. But the the fall actually brought a curse upon the whole world. And so everything has changed uh, since then. And the uh, perception of what's good is a presupposition of what we believe is good, but usually that's a goodness, that's relative to us in our situation. Right. We we don't like to look at the idea of what God calls good. God calls that which is good, that is glorifying of himself, and that, um, that his name, and so the ultimate good that God is working for in the redemption through the person work of Christ. So the glorification of the son is that which God calls good. And as the universe and the world, this fallen world, is uh, all about Christ. It's all been created by Christ and for Christ, as the book of Colossians tells us. And it's all about him. And if we're not living uh, in that mindset as Christians, well, then our understanding of the holy God contrast with the evil in the world is going to be very skewed. And that's where it's why it causes us problems, because we look at God's uh, goodness, his goodness, and then we think of that or interpret that in light of ourselves. But the reality is we, we have a skewed view when it comes to holiness. We have a skewed view when it comes to goodness. And we see these things as relative to the problem. Yeah. This subject, um, like Job. You know, we we were
0: just talking about Job and the story of Job. Never really truthfully ever found out why what happened to him happened to him. We all have the privilege of being able to see what's going on behind the curtain. But Job himself has absolutely no idea whatsoever.
1: I think that that's on purpose. I think, again, that, you know, begs the question of, why. Why is is it the uh, issue, I think, is something that should allow us that necessarily owe us an answer to the question, right, of the problem of evil. Mm -hmm. Uh, God doesn't necessarily owe us a uh, for why he allows difficulties and hardships to come into our lives, but he calls us to trust him. And I know that in my own life, I've seen that happen, where you know, just to the questions, but I could see what God was doing, you know, in hindsight, at least I can see some of what God was doing as he was bringing about my own sanctification, the sanctification of others uh, used to glorify. Him. I think to be, well, not so good. Uh, ultimately, they are for our good and for his glory. And uh, and I believe that's exactly what God is trying to do in the universe. Is that he is glorifying the son through all the events of history and as he deems to be good
0: and uh, look at uh, go through the fact that sin is present is even ordained much of that to, to well all of it God has ordained everything in his decrees we don't completely understand why we can't see behind the curtain God has ordained these things he's not the author of it but he, he has ordained them for, to use them for a purpose. And then, you know, you think about the, the argument in Romans 9. You know, Paul's like, well, you, the, the man in Romans 9 that he's arguing with, uh, makes this argument and says, well, well, that's not fair. How can God find any fault with us? Uh, R.C. Sproul used to say, he said, you don't want fair. Because
1: if God gave us fair, we'd all be in hell. <laughs> what we want is mercy. Yeah, that's right. That's what we want. We want mercy. And, and God is a merciful God. Uh, but God is a just God. I argue that you cannot, you can't uphold those two realities, the mercy of God and the justice of God. If we think of the mercy of God, we might want to attach the love of God, the grace of God to that in, in a particular category. The other side, the wrath of God, the the justice of God, in another category. And there's no way that those two categories can be upheld in the person and nature of God, except through the cross, because you see both of them on display, both of them being upheld. As the book of Romans tells us, that Christ is, that God is not only the just, but the justifier. And uh, the implications of that is that he upholds his law by um by punishing him son on the cross and through the gospel of the death burial and resurrection of christ within soul is uh, and grace and love being expressed if we uh, deem that the highest you know level of god's love being expressed to us are the warm fuzzy feelings that we may have after worship service or during worship service or some kind of emotional thing going on where, you know, we get, may get emotional as we ponder the love of God and we think about how much he cares for us and and we're just thinking of it more as a an expression of, uh, an emotional expression from God, well, then I think we would be uh, really in error, right? Form of the love of God. And the clearest declaration of the love of God is the ex- Expressed by God in the giving of His, take our place on a cross and to absorb wrath on our behalf, the love of God, and to detract from the gospel itself would be to detract from God's love. Uh, So there's no higher form, and only in the cross is the justice of God upheld and the love of God, mercy of God, grace of God upheld as well. Balance your. Probably an antinomian view, or you're going to go into a legalistic um, on the other side of the spectrum. And so the only way to resolve that tension between the mercy, this and wrath of God is in the cross itself. And I think that that is the highest expression of God's glory, where he is doing that on behalf of sinners. He didn't have to, but he's doing it on behalf of sinners for the glory of himself through the finished work of Christ, His Son. Right. Standing
0: I'd like to thank you for joining me today for the Broken Vessels podcast. Uh, we have new episodes that we'll release each Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on YouTube. Also keep in mind that you can reach us on our Gmail address at brokenvesselspod at gmail.com. And you can also check out our Facebook group and uh, join us there for some conversation. If you have any kind of input or any questions that you may like to ask or we'd like to build a community there where we can talk about some of the issues that we uh, discuss here on the podcast. So we'll see you next week. I am looking forward to having these conversations with you as we seek to see Christ heal the brokenness in our lives.